have been born again more times than I can remember. More times than anyone ought to, anyhow. Altar calls, raise your hand if you want Jesus in your heart moments. First time commitment prayers, then recommitment prayers. I've been slain in the spirit, and I was even born again at a Billy Graham crusade. Nothing ever seemed to stick. I am born again lazy. I cannot let go. Or it seems that I'm only able to let go for a brief moment. Then as soon as I sit back down, I grab back onto this stuff, onto these things I hold in my hands. Every time I was born again, I really did want Jesus badly. I've come to find that it is very difficult to grab onto something when your hands are already full. My full hands are starving Jesus. I call this stuff in my left hand dirty. The stuff in my right, pretty. Dirty is basically my impure life. The abuse, the girls, the sex, the lust, the porn, all of it. Pretty is my successful life as an actor. My pride, my passion, my drive, my ambition. These two little handfuls have defined who I am. And as hard as I'm holding on to them, they are holding on to me, not letting me go. But there is this voice, a voice that calls me to let go, to let go and get out of the pew, to go and do something. It's 4 a.m. and I can't remember the last time it was that I slept. I keep pacing my apartment. My heart beats out of my chest and I can't calm myself down. This has been going on for weeks now. That voice, it's getting louder. Let go, it says. Let it all go. How, though? I'm not sure I can. If I let go of who I am, then who am I? Then it comes. Like a quiet cloud, it comes. It doesn't tell me that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't quiet my heart. No instant peace, no tears, no soft music. In complete silence, it comes. Let go, the voice says. Let it all go. Follow me. His own
Juneteenth is the oldest celebration known for commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. Dating back to 1865, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers led by Major General Gordon Granger landed in Galveston, Texas with the news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. Now, if you're a student of history, you'll note that this was two and a half years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which had become official on January the 1st, 1863. Often the, told is the story that the messenger who was to come in, in 1863 was murdered on his way to Texas with the news of freedom. Another is that the news was deliberately withheld by the slave owners to maintain the labor force on the plantations. For whatever reason, the slaves in Texas were, in reality, free, but did not live in the fullness of that truth. They had been free in reality for two and a half years, but didn't live in the reality of that truth. Can you imagine? Free, but still living as slaves. You know what? I believe that there are many in this room in that exact same place. Having been called into relationship by a sovereign God, yet living as though you were a slave to a myriad of addictions and habits and idols in our lives. Not free to live in the fullness of your identity in Jesus. My desire is to see you free. I want to encourage you to live in the truth of the gospel. Not just to save, but to continue saving you. The gospel is enough. I really do believe it. A good portion of my time each week as a pastor at New Life is spent working with individuals, helping them know the joy of being free in Jesus. Living only for Jesus. Growing in their understanding of the power of the gospel in their lives, and I want that for each of you today. As we begin, I want to help you combat a couple of tendencies as we talk about our topic, addictions and habits and idols. The first tendency is to say, this doesn't apply to me, I'm good. The other is, I'm beyond hope. I will never know what it means to live in total freedom. In both cases, I want to remind you of what it says in 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that satisfying of God's wrath and that reconciling of humans with himself for our sins. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, is completely dependent upon God for salvation, for righteousness, for healing, for power. And whatever is happening in our lives spiritually is because of his love. While God loves us, though, he does not simply approve of our actions just because he loves us. In reality, his love is what has been called contra-conditional. He loves us because his son fulfilled the conditions to be in his presence. 
Contrary to my due, contrary to your due, he loves us. And now I can change. Now I can be free of addictions and habits and idols, not to earn love, but because of love. You see, we are neither beyond nor too good for God's grace. So, I'm going to ask that you would go deep with me these next several minutes. Let the Holy Spirit act in your life. Let him, let him impact you. This is Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. The day that we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit. So let's expect him to do great things in this, in this room for these next few moments. Let's expect him to come and work in our lives and free us of the bondage of addictions and habits and idols. In your worship folder is an outline if you want to follow along. And I realize that uh, you walk into church on Sunday and you realize, you look at this sheet and you go, oh good, a sermon on addictions, habits, and idols. This should be rousing. You know, last, time we, last week we talked about suffering. And today we're talking about addictions and habits and idols. Here's the point. This is real life. Every day isn't flowers and, you know, last week we spoke, you know, it was suffering on Mother's Day. But that's where we live, isn't it? I want to go, first things first, let's make sure we have the same definitions going as we move forward, okay? What are addictions, habits, and idols? Well, addictions can be defined this way. An addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, an activity, or a state of mind, which then becomes the center of life. See, life is all about that addiction, Depending, defending itself from truth. So that even bad consequences don't bring repentance and leading to a further estrangement from God. You see, addictions become the center of our life and we defend it because it's our core. We defend our addiction even through bad consequences. Because see, we don't really want to repent because it's too important to us. And then that brings further estrangement from God. One expert on this subject has said, addictions can be found at the intersection of our sin and the innumerable influences on our lives. So that's, an, that's, what, that's the definition we're going to use for addiction. Definition of a habit. What nice people call addictions. <laughs> Thought you were going to get by with that one, didn't you? And idols. What are Idols. It's been defined, the best definition I've found of an idol is this. Whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. That's an idol. Now on your outline is a short list of some things that I think fit these definitions. Now, some of these are those dirty sins, and some are the pretty ones, but sins nonetheless. 
There's also room there for ones that I haven't listed. I'm sure there are at least a few more. So maybe as you look at that, you want to really lightly, so the person next to you doesn't see it. I know how this works. Underline or circle or... Well, what do these have to do with each other? What in the world do addictions and habits and idols have to do with each other? Well, in Scripture, the prototype or the prime example for addictions is drunkenness. And we see this story, this picture of this, this picture of addiction in Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29. Here's what it says. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. The story of addiction. The story of idols in Scripture. Yes, what I am saying is that every addiction or habit is at its core an idol. Let me explain. Our addictions are those things that we turn to to make us feel that our life has meaning, right? That make us feel secure or that we're in control or that we have value or security. Nothing deters us. Even negative consequences from living with them. We make choices to pursue our addictions just like the drunken man. Because we believe that there is a payoff However temporary, we believe there is a payoff. At the same time, these idols cause us to feel trapped and out of control. To feel desperate hunger and thirst for something. They tell us that we can't let go and so we cling to them even when the addictive behavior yields very few pleasures and really a great deal of pain. They make us feel stuck and without hope for freedom or escape. This is what addictions and habits and idols do. We hold on to them tightly because that's where we get our meaning in life. They make us feel secure or in control or they fix an issue in our life. Fix an issue in our life. And we defend against them no matter how bad it gets. Well, what about me, you say? Are these true of me? I've thought long and hard about this answer, written this very carefully. Yes. It is true of us. It's true of you and it's true of me. These addictions and idols in our life. You see, we're doing the, this message this weekend not because we think there are four people in our church who struggle with addiction. 
most of us struggle with some level of addiction and, or habit or idol. One expert in this area has said the addiction experience is the human experience. The thing that drives addictions can be found in every human being. Why? Well, because we're all born with an inclination and a bent towards sin. We may not be willing to admit it, but many, if not most of us, have dangerous, let's call them, addictive idols in our life. Well, is it all sin? I believe the answer is yes, and I realize this is a controversial answer. But hopefully by the end of this morning you'll understand why I'm answering this yes. I believe these are sin. Anything that causes separation from our God is sin. It's slavery to something other than righteousness and other than Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. John 8.34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So how do we respond? What's well, been alluded to earlier, our beliefs must change. Romans chapter 6 through 8, very clearly, and because it's Paul that's writing very bluntly, address the challenge of the battle going on between the flesh, that is slavery to, to sin, and the spirit that is a slave to righteousness. Yes, we were slaves to sin without Christ. And even now, those of us who are Christ followers struggle to live in righteousness. The issue is what we believe to be ultimately true. It is about what we believe, of whether we will live in this truth. That our sin, our addictions, our idols ultimately control us, or do we believe Romans 6.22 when it says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see, we can choose to believe that we are bound up by our addictions and our idols or that we are free from them in Christ. Our response must be to let go. To let go. Just as we saw in the video of this old, what we'll call fleshy way of thinking. And live in the truth that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because of this, we are free to live in the power of His righteousness. See, we must believe differently. We must believe that we are indeed sons and daughters of the Most High God, who with the power of the Holy Spirit can live in freedom. Well, how do we do that? Well, I've already said it. Let go. Those are two easier words to say than they are to do, right? Why? Because most of us have a control problem. Or we think we're in control, right? The problem is that addictions and habits and idols control us rather than us control them. Well, how do we let go? 
me share just a few things with you. First, know the Lord. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, he wants to be known. He wants us to live in an understanding of who he is and what he has done for us. We must understand the truth is this, that every answer we desire, every hope we long for, every ounce of power needed to break addictions and break down idols comes from our intimate, honest relationship with Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more we understand his work in our life, the more I believe these idols and addictions will start breaking down. Living in his grace alone is enough. If you're struggling this morning, his grace is enough. The cross is enough. The gospel is enough. But the first step is knowing the Lord. and Stepping into an intimate, honest relationship with Christ. Second, we must fear the Lord. Psalm 34, 8 and 9 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Now fear in this verse doesn't mean in a fetal position cowering in the corner because God's going to beat you up. To fear the Lord is to give him correct reverence knowing that he is the creator and sustainer of life. It, it means this. He's God, and I'm not. He is the only one who should be in control. See, why do we cling to our idols and our habits and our addictions? Because we think we're in control. We don't fear the Lord and realize, in his, in his rightful place, he can certainly break the bondage of idols and addictions in our life we must know the Lord we must fear the Lord number three we have to turn from lies Isaiah 28 15 says that we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter you can picture that right see we believe them so much that we surround ourselves and we think they're giving us refuge and shelter. They're protecting us from things. Isn't that why we're addicted to things? Isn't that why we grab hold of idols? Because we think they protect us from something. They think, we, we believe they're our refuge and our shelter. That we don't really have to then deal with issues in our life because these are protecting us. The Bible's pretty insightful, isn't it? We might want to read it now and then. Well, how do we turn from lies? Well, I think there are the lies you believe. We have to turn from the lies we believe. It is one thing to acknowledge that we occasionally do wrong. It is, a, it is something else to acknowledge that what we did was sin. It was against God. One man has said that human thinking always elevates some finite value or object to be the answer. See, rather than go to God, we tell ourselves a lie that this, this thing, this habit, this addiction, this idol, this, this will be the... This, is the ob this object or this finite thing is going to be the answer. See, if I take this or do that or depend upon this thing or push ahead in this area, that's going to be the answer. 
but we have to acknowledge the lies we believe. Then there are the lies we tell. Addictions are always surrounded by lies. I've worked with many addicts over the years. And the running kind of joke I have with many of them is, you know when I know you're lying? You're talking. Why? They're surrounded by lies. Lies you tell others in order to hide or minimize your struggle. And we could talk about that all day. Lies you tell others in order to feed the addiction by using others and their resources for your own selfish purposes. Even lies that you tell yourself. You see, we begin practicing self-deception by ignoring something is wrong with us. We can't coddle an unrealistic self-concept when the price is destructive consequences. We can't do that. And we have to give up the lies that we tell to others and to ourselves. And I realize those lies are a protection. Remember, Bible's smart. It's a shelter. It's a refuge. It's a cover. It feels safe. Then there's another kind of lie we need to turn from, and that's the blame that you put on others. Rather than take the responsibility for our own sins, our own choices, our own bondage and the slavery of sin, we'll blame others around us making them the reason why we struggle. Let me say this. While it is true that we are influenced by genetics and socioeconomics and environment, I want to challenge you with this idea. While we are influenced by those things, and I get that, some of us are more inclined genetically and because of our background and our environment to addictions and idols. While we are influenced by those things, we are not determined by them. You see why? The gospel is enough. We must make the choice to let go and let God free us. But this happens only when we take full responsibility for our actions. When we realize that we are the source of our issues. When we let go and let God free us. So we need to know the Lord. We need to fear the Lord. We need to turn from lies. And then it's important that we embrace the truth. One author, as I was reading and studying for this, said this. When our desires conflict with scripture, human beings do not always live according to what we say we believe. When our desires conflict with scripture, we don't always live what we say we believe. What truths should we be believing? What are the truths we should be grabbing hold of? Well, there are truths about Jesus. In 1 John 1, in describing Jesus, John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. This one who came to save us 
from our addictions and our idols. C.S. Lewis was writing and referred to his characters in the Chronicles of Narnia, said that it is important that we are making sure to clarify the difference between Jesus as some magical pussycat and the divine lion Aslan. What did he say about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia? He is not safe, but he is good. He is not safe, but he is good. We must realize that Jesus is good. And I like the first part. He's not safe. He's not safe. There's some danger there, but he is good. So we must know the truth about Jesus. We also have to know the truth about Satan. Have to know the truth about Satan. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Then he says this. He was a murderer from the beginning and having nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do we need to hear anything else? Satan is not out for your best interest. He's a murderer and a liar. There is no truth in him. He will lie and kill to keep you from walking fully in the truth of who you are in Christ. He will throw accusations against you to get you off course. And he will suck the hope right out of you, trying to get you to believe that you might as well give up. That's who Satan is. The lies that we hear, that's where they're from. That's where they start. The father of lies. Then there's the truth that we need to believe about ourselves. The truth you need to believe about yourself. John 14 says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And for... <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6 says, do, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The truth about ourselves is that within us is the Holy Spirit. We've been bought with a price. As Christ followers, we have been chosen and purchased and bought as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You see, unless we truly believe this, we will get caught up in hanging on to every addiction, every idol, every habit that the enemy throws at us. Tim Keller says, every human being must live for something. Something must capture our imaginations, our heart's most fundamental allegiance and hope. But the Bible tells us, without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, that object will never be God himself. But as a Christ follower this morning, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And who's he desire most? Jesus. Every Christ follower has the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in him or her. We must live in this truth that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, indwells me. He is my only hope. 
The power against addictions and idols is within me. The Holy Spirit rejects them outright. When we understand this about ourselves, that we have been given this helper that comes and lives within us, then we can battle these idols and these addictions because the power of the Holy Spirit is working in us. When we listen and obey. And then we know, need to know the truth about sin. Romans chapter 7 says, and this is Paul in this, I referred to it earlier in this kind of blunt, if you really want to read some of the bluntest writing in scripture, read Romans 6 through 8. Paul says this, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Anybody there? See, the truth about sin is that it's still there battling. <laughs> battling with the spirit. And the spirit and the flesh are just battling against each other. And even Paul, who I think most of us would look at, well, there would be a good guy to be like. Says that the good stuff he wants to do, he doesn't. And the bad stuff he doesn't want to do, he keeps doing. And there's this constant struggle. Now, here's where I want to clarify what I realize is kind of a controversial statement that I have made. And that is that these addictions and idols are indeed sin. And I understand that there is a widespread under belief that, they, that some of these things are sickness or a disease. And I want to kind of clarify what I'm saying. The human heart has what could be called a dual nature when it comes to sin. There are sins in our lives that are purposeful. Where we are in complete control... And we voluntarily choose to sin. It is a conscious disobedience. That's sin, correct? But then there are those sins that we might more readily call addictions. Those to which we are enslaved. Did we not read earlier? We are slaves to sin. We do them almost automatically. We are out of control. You see, what? that's victimizing slavery. But as we've seen, it is still sin before God. Because anything that turns us away from a relationship with Christ is sin. And I believe truly that there is a power in naming our addictions and our idols as sin. That the power to overcome them comes from the Holy Spirit in us. An important question to ask yourself is this. Do I believe that sin is my primary problem? You know, for all overt sins, the greatest is covert. See, there's a covert sin that sounds like this. I don't love the Lord, my God, with my whole mind and my whole heart. One author put it this way. The problem isn't that we love other things too much. It's that we don't love God enough. So we have to understand the truth about sin. And then we need to understand the truth about the cross. 1 John 4.10, we read it earlier. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. No person, no substance, no habit, no plan, no way of thinking, not even the best ones, can give our souls all it needs. Only the gospel, the freedom achieved for us on the cross is our hope. Only the gospel, only the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is our hope. We must understand the truth about the cross. And then I think there's the one last thing we must do, and that is to live out the truth. The truth that we have the Spirit of God, we've talked about it a lot. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of what? Fear, but of power and love and self-control. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 1 Peter 2.3, indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We have the Spirit of God. For every Christ follower, this is true of you. If you are here today, this is true of you. And if you don't know Jesus today, this can be true of you today. You have the Spirit of God. You also have the Word of God. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, your intake of the Word of God is critical if you are serious about living free from addictions. Just like most of us eat every day, we need an intake of the word of God to keep us healthy and to keep us growing and to keep us stable and to get the core to where our, the core of our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ and not an addiction and not an idol. We must be people of the word of God. Say, so when I read it, I don't understand it. Keep reading. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will discern it. And you start creating this kind of new habit, it will change you. And lastly, you have the body of Christ. We have seen it at work this morning. Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the coming of Christ drawing near. We are to encourage one another. Not to gossip about one another, not to discourage one another, not to talk about each other, not to look down our long bony noses at everybody who isn't as righteous as we are. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We are stronger together against our addictions and our idols. And then in James, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We must simply determine to live as God intended. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, God is seeking to restore his original intent that we would be a people who walk in honest, real, vulnerable relationships with God and with others.
You have the Spirit of God, you have the Word of God, and you have the body of Christ. The gospel is enough to break your addiction, to break down your idol. But I want to make sure we get the point. This whole last section came under the heading, let go. Let go. And we've seen that dramatically shown today. So I want you to do this. If you have stuff in your hands, set it aside. I want us to do this together. If everybody would do this, I know some of you are never going to do what anybody on the platform tells you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to just close your eyes and I want to ask you this question. And then I want you to ponder it quietly before the Lord. What is in your hands? What is in your hands? What addiction? What idol? What habit? Are you holding on to? In hopes that it will complete you and fulfill you and make you feel secure or in control. What's in your hands? Just keep your hands that way and we're going to have just a moment of quiet before the Lord. Just stay right where you are. Here's what I believe God would have you do. Let go. And I believe God would have many of us come to these altars and kneel here. And turn our hands that other direction. And as an altar-like moment before him, let go. Our prayer partners are going to be on the sides if you'd like someone to pray with you and over you. But the altars are open. And as your hands are clenched there, as God is saying, here's what's in your hands, you've got to let go and let me work. Come to a prayer partner. Come to these altars. Let's let God free us up let's let go of stuff we are hanging on to besides Jesus let's be free of our addictions and our idols today the worship team is going to start singing and I'd encourage you to come and let go